0: Good morning and welcome to Pleasant Street Church. Uh, I'm a visiting minister just for one Sunday. My name is Justin Ruddy. I pastor at Resurrection Church in Boston, uh, which means that I'm new here and I'm uniquely equipped to welcome anyone else who is new here. Um, (laughs) We want to welcome you to worship today, whether this is your first Sunday or if you've been worshiping at this church for 98 years. Uh, I saw that we have a birthday A 98-year-old birthday coming up on Tuesday, which is really exciting. Um, I was thinking about coming to Pleasant Street Church, and I thought, what kind of church am I headed to this morning? I looked at your website, and I learned that I was going to be in a place that has genuine community. I I can testify to that, having visited a few times. There's genuine community here. Authentic worship. One of my favorite things to do is worship here at Pleasant Street. Uh, You guys have an emphasis on the gospel. It says here on the website, grace changes everything. I hope that we experience some of that this morning. Uh, You have an emphasis on generous serving. You're involved with God on mission in your church and in your community. You want to see lives transformed, and you want there to be an attractive witness to the gospel in your church community. So a little reminder of who you are from an outsider coming in this morning, welcoming you to worship. Uh, but the main person, the main persons welcoming us into worship is Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He opens up His presence and invites us in. And so I want to invite you to stand uh, for our call to worship as the Lord invites us to worship Him. Let us worship God who's done great things. Let us worship God who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. We are the people of God
1: that through Christ. We worship Him and
0: rejoice. Let us worship God in spirit and truth. We sing praises to His name. Amen. Let's sing praises to His name together.
1: justice, shines like the sun in all its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings, this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would pay conquered the grave worthy is the lord who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the Lamb who was slain worthy 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 this is amazing grave Unfailing love that you would take my place. display
2: third commandment for us. We shall not make use of the name of the Lord God, the Lord will not quit anyone who misuses the name of God.
0: Obeying this command means not misusing the name of God.
2: Lord God, we are a people called by your name. Yet sometimes we do not call on you when we should. We forget that you are able to answer our prayers. We forget that you are near.
1: People called by your name.
0: Yet sometimes we have used your name for causes that are not consistent with you and your purposes.
2: Lord God, we are a people called by your name. Yet sometimes the way we live speaks ill of you. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Take away our sins. And fashion us to be a people marked by your name. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, receive this good news of the gospel. Praise be to the God and Father of Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope.
0: Now we are a chosen people, God's special possession; those called out of darkness and into wonderful light.
1: us in your we and do is Amen.
2: We are forgiven. Now we walk with God in lives of gratitude. Let's take a moment for a silent reflection on the third commandment. of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's take a moment to just greet our neighbors.
0: Could I have all the kids come up for Kid Street, please? There you go. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Guess I'm chopped liver. <laughs> People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue
1: to show us you're wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen.
0: The Lord be with you. you. (laughs) Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God.
3: My name is Don LaFrancis and I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. Um, if any of you looked at your calendar this morning or maybe had the morning news on, you might have seen the words or heard the words. Today is the first day of spring. I like it that the meteorologist tells me that or that the calendar tells me that, but in all honesty, this past week especially, I think if we've looked around, you can see grass starting to green. I know I have daffodils up a little ways. I saw a couple of crocuses, and the birds are singing differently. The sun is brighter. It feels better. It's just, it's amazing to me. And when I see those things, um, I'm reminded of just how faithful God is. Uh, we, we don't need a meteorologist to tell us. We don't need a calendar to tell us. Um, God is faithful, and he brings the seasons one after the other without us having to think about it, and I'm just thankful for that this morning. So if you would join me in prayer, um, it's my privilege to lead us this morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Father in heaven, we praise you this morning for your faithfulness and the gift of your amazing grace. Jesus, Son of God and Savior of the world, thank you for your gift of salvation, free to all through the sacrifice of all of your glory and your life to be the only way by which we can bring our praise, prayers, and petitions before the throne of grace. With awe and humble adoration, Lord, we come into your presence with the confidence that you see us, you love us just as we are, and you are waiting and want to hear from us. Abba Father, thank you that you have promised to always be our refuge and our strength. You are our hiding place in times of trouble, and your arms are always open, inviting and welcoming us to climb into your lap where we are protected, comforted, and loved. Loving God, we thank you for each member of our Pleasant Street family, for those seated around us this morning, for those who are worshiping from home, and for those who are traveling. We thank you for the many faces that we are seeing back once again and we are grateful for each of them. We praise you for our children downstairs in Nursery and Kids Street, and we thank you for those who volunteer their time to care for and teach them. For our students, teens and young adults, thank you for GEMS and cadet leaders, for Open Door and youth group volunteers. We ask that you would guide and give us clarity to hear your leading for our youth programs during this season of transition. For our young and growing families, we ask your protection for those who are expecting, and wisdom for parents who are training up their children to know and love you. And for our seasoned adults and senior members, we thank you for your faithfulness and blessings in our lives. We ask for an extra measure of your grace to be with those who are shut in, isolated, or lonely. We celebrate with Babe. Who celebrates her 94th birthday today, and with Mike B as he celebrates his 98th birthday on Tuesday. Thank you for their testimony of your care and provision for them all these years. We thank you for healing on behalf of Carol L, Leanne, Karen S, and Brian T. We ask that you would be with Rick L who broke his arm yesterday and will now need recovery and possibly physical therapy. We also ask that you, uh, we continue to lift up Hank and Bev E and Donna W and all of those who are struggling with illness, chronic pain, emotional or mental health battles. We also ask your continued peace and care for the Banning, Bajima and Holm families as well as for the Vandenacker and Buma families as they grieve the loss of Helen and Irene. Holy Spirit comforter, be with all those who are experiencing recent loss, and also with those who feel overwhelmed by past losses, whether in death or in broken relationships, from which they are unable to move on. God of peace, help us to trust that you are able to, and will, restore the brokenness in our lives. Merciful and Sovereign Lord, we cry out to you today on behalf of the people of Ukraine. Families being torn apart, millions of people fleeing and becoming refugees, widespread death and destruction, all the result of greed, power, jealousy, and envy. God of peace, protect those who are in harm's way. Let your church be a light even in the darkness. Work as only you can in the hearts of those who seek to destroy. Lord, we trust that you are in control, and we pray for the day that every knee will bow before you and confess that you are the only one who is and will be Lord over all. Provider God, we thank you for Pastor Justin's presence with us this morning as Pastor Matthew and his family wrap up their time away. Thank you for the ministry of Resurrection Church as they seek to grow your kingdom in the neighborhoods of East Boston. We also give you thanks for the members of our praise and worship team. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for each of these servants who seeks to honor you with their talents and guide us in worship. May our words, songs, and prayers be pleasing to you. Open our ears now to hear, and our hearts to absorb what you would say to us. Help us as we walk through this Lenten season to keep our eyes focused on the cross, and keep us daily walking in step with you. We pray all of this in the name of our risen Savior, to whom be all the honor, glory, and praise forever, amen.
4: This morning I have the privilege of reading Matthew 20, 1 through 16 from the English Standard Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received their denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: The deadly sin of envy wants to kill your joy. It wants to take your friendships and turn them into competitions, Envy wants to twist your workplace into a contentious arena where you clash with your coworkers. Envy wants to take ordinary objects like money, your house, your car, your clothing, your watch, your phone, your handbag. It wants to turn all of those things sour. Envy wants to turn siblings into rivals. It wants to turn spouses into adversaries. Envy wants to set nation against nation, turning land into something to be fought over, pillaged and possessed rather than respected, preserved, and stewarded. Envy wants to make us short-sighted, irrational, anxious, and petty. The deadly sin of envy wants to kill your joy and wants to make you miserable. Will you let it? It's the question we'll ask today. As I said before, I'm Justin Ruddy, pastor at Resurrection Church in Boston. Uh, I'm here today with my family, my, my wife Sarah. We managed to get our three year old son and our four month old daughter, Junia. Uh, here with us today, and we love coming to to be with you at Pleasant Street to worship together to see familiar faces uh, things at Resurrection Church are going splendidly um, even in the face of the the challenges of the last two plus years um, we've seen god's faithfulness to us we're we're modestly growing in number and in diversity and in uh, community so thank you for your prayers. We covet them. We we need prayer as we continue, particularly as we move um, into the, the coming year. Um, now that we're moving, actually, we'll have our first maskless Sunday at church, uh, or optional mask Sunday next week. Uh, we're a little slower in the city, but we're excited about that change. So pray for our transitions. Pray for the ministry that God has had for us in Boston. Um, but let's get back to the sin of envy. We're talking about envy at Resurrection Church during the season of Lent, Uh, and I asked the folks who are planning today's uh, worship gathering, and they said that this might be an appropriate word given where you folks are at in the season of Lent too. Uh, We're looking at a series on the seven deadly sins, the list of sins is not properly biblical, though all of these sins that are called the seven deadly sins do appear in Scripture. The list was put together by monks and nuns and pastors and theologians throughout the centuries as they thought about and reflected on the moral nature of human beings. as They reflected on what afflicts and hinders us in our pursuit of righteousness, as they thought about what we have to confront and confess if we want to be fully alive human beings in harmonious communion with God. So we're zeroing in today on the sin of envy, and we're looking at it through a text, a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven, a parable that highlights for us the audacity of grace, one that cuts at our competitive And our capitalistic sense of what is fair and just. In the process, this parable shines a light on the joy-killing sin of envy. So we've just read the text. You might have picked up that it's likely harvest time in the text, which means that the vineyard owner needs more help than he typically does. Uh, So the winemaker goes out, Uh, looking for additional workers because he's been keeping a close eye on his vineyard. He's been sampling the, the grapes on a daily basis, waiting for them to be just right, assessing their ripeness, their readiness, waiting for the right time to begin the work of the harvest. And here the day has arrived. The bunches of grapes will need to be gingerly picked The grapes will have to be carefully sorted. Someone will need to do the detail work of removing the stems, something that we have modern technology to do. (laughs) And then, of course, it would take a few men to be in the wine press. So the winemaker goes out looking for help in the morning. Verse 1 says that he went out early in the morning, probably before 6 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard for a 12-hour day of work, which was custom at the time. Verse 2 says that they agreed on a wage of a denarius a day, which was fair and standard for the time. And so the workers agreed, and then they got to work. And this is the kind of scenario that we can all go along with. Decent work, fair wages. These workers had done this before. They had likely experienced... Working in the vineyard at harvest time in years past, they had made good money and they knew what to expect. The satisfaction of a good day's work. The sweet taste of the occasional stray grape. A midday break. A chunk of change in their pocket at the end of the day. It's a good deal. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? How do you think it's supposed to work? Now, I'm not talking about matters of justice. That's not particularly what this passage is dealing with. So let's be clear you have a right not to be racially discriminated against. You have a right, if you are a woman, to make the same wage as the men who share your title. You deserve not to be exploited by your boss or to be underpaid for the work you do. You deserve not to live in fear or under threat. Those are matters of justice. About which this parable is not really speaking. So let's set those aside and think about how we think the world is supposed to work, particularly as it relates to things like fair work, uh, fair pay, what we deserve for what we put in. These workers are hired in the morning and they're making a fair wage for decent work. It's how the world's supposed to work. How do we think it's supposed to work? And by that question, I'm really asking, what is the life that, if you get it, will bring you joy and satisfaction? What is the life that, if you get it, will bring you joy and satisfaction? Maybe it's a certain kind of job, a position, a title, a pay grade, Maybe it's a particular kind of romantic partner who looks and acts a certain way. Maybe it's a certain number of children or a particular amount of money or a particular possession. Maybe a kind of home that you want or a sort of truck that you've always wanted to drive. What is the life that if you get it, it will bring you satisfaction and joy? And on the flip side, what is the life that, if you don't get it, will leave you feeling miserable, distressed, or even cheated? All of us have a picture of the good life, something to which we aspire, a dream that we hope will come true, something that we're likely working toward. And, of course, God wants to shape and even transform our vision of the good life. I wish I could preach another sermon on that. But for now, I simply want you to hold your intuitive vision of the good life in your mind. Think about the feelings you would feel, the joy, the satisfaction. When I think about the good life, I think about having a delightful marriage. I think about having well-adjusted adult children someday. I think about having a yard with a few trees. We only have one tree in our yard that's about this big and the developer next door is about to tear it down, so I want some trees someday. <laughs> I'd like an unhurried work life. I would really like to have daily times of contemplative prayer where I can kind of settle in and relax in God's presence without worrying about preparing breakfast or getting the kids off to childcare. I'd like a few hours to read a good book on the weekend. I'd like to have a dash of travel in there, some good food and drink. So when I conjure that vision, I start to feel excited. I start to feel at ease, kind of warm. I feel like maybe I should keep pressing forward through the difficulties of this day until one day, if everything goes my way, I'll be there. I know. It sounds like a pretty basic version of the American dream. It's what I've been trained and enculturated. You might even say I've been discipled by society to believe that if I work hard someday, my life will look close to what I want it to look like. And I have trouble imagining it turning out any other way. If you change a single one of those pieces, I start to feel anxious particularly about my marriage, my children, my work, and my financial security. Even though none of these things are a matter of justice, even though I don't have a right to a healthy marriage, or to well-adjusted children, or to meaningful work, or to financial security, I've come to think that if I work hard enough, then the universe or something sort of owes me these things. Really what I think deep down, if I'm honest, is that if I work hard and put in the time, then God owes me these things. So where does envy come in? Let's get back to our parable. Remember, the winemaker hired workers at a fair wage at 6 a.m., and I want us to pick up at verse 3. It says, And going out about the third hour, the third hour was around 9 a.m., He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, that is around noon and around 3 p.m., he did the same. And then about the 11th hour, that is about 5 p.m., About one hour from the end of the 12-hour workday, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too to put yourself in the shoes of the workers hired at 6 a.m. Gradually throughout the day, you see other workers coming into the vineyard, Some of them are likely your friends. They're familiar day laborers from the marketplace, and so you're glad that they found some work for the day, too. And it's a relief because many hands make light work. You're a bit confused by the hires at noon (laughs) and 3 p.m., and you're kind of astonished at the 5 p.m. hire. But... Maybe the the winemaker is in a rush. Maybe he's got to have some things accomplished by the end of the day. You're almost done. The money's almost in your pocket. The world is as it should be. You're on your way one day at a time to the good life. Look at verse 8. It's time to get paid. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. Okay, now you're confused, right? Why are they paying the last first? You want to get paid and get out of here. Your feet are sore. You've worked a 12-hour day. What is going on? And here's where the envious shoe drops. Look at verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, Each of them received a denarius. There's got to be a mistake, you think? You've worked all day to take one step closer to your vision of the good life, and you were happy to do so for a denarius. Decent work, fair wage, but now this schmuck, This lazy, lousy guy who hung around in the marketplace chatting it up all day long. This guy who worked an hour gets the same pay that you were to get for a day's work. There's got to be a problem in accounting, right? But wait, you think. Maybe this could work to your advantage if this vineyard owner pays a denarius for an hour's work, maybe you're looking at a windfall. Maybe you're looking at 12 denarii if this is his true hourly wage. Maybe you're looking at least at six if he has something close to just scales. Maybe you're going to be working for this guy more often. Maybe if you put in overtime, you can accelerate Your good life dream. At this rate of pay, you'll be a vineyard owner before you know it. Look at verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Right? So this is the calculus they're doing. But each of them also received a denarius. Ooh. That one denarius is starting to look very, very small. This is where envy shows up. Notice, nothing has changed in your situation. You still have a fair wage for decent work. You're still on your way to some version of the good life. But envy has entered the picture and it has killed your joy. Notice that you're not jealous. No, jealousy is when uh, you want to protect something you already have. So you're jealous because your boyfriend seems to be flirting with another girl. You're jealous because you want to protect and preserve the relationship you already have with him. Notice that you are also not covetous, because coveting is when you want something that belongs to someone else. No, you're envious. And what is envy? What is an envier? Cornelius Plantinga says that what an envier wants is not what another has. What an envier wants is for another not to have it. You see the distinction? Those who have worked all day want the pay rate of the other workers. They don't want them to have a denarii. For just an hour's work, they want a level playing field. They simply can't abide the other people receiving the gift of the winemaker's generosity. Look at verses 11 and following. This is what's going on. This is what envy does in the hearts of the 12-day workers. It says, on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day, In the scorching heat, do you see what envy did to their work day? Previously they were happy to work for a denarii, but now they go, the burden of the day, (laughs) the scorching heat. This was not fair work. This was not decent work for a fair... It's all changed in their head, even though nothing has changed for them situationally. And he replies to them in verse 13, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Envy spoils their capacity to see generosity for what it is. So the last will be first and the first last. One of the most famous little verses in the Bible. Here's the context for it. The context of an illustration of audacious grace. And here is envy in a nutshell. Envy is active when you cannot joyfully celebrate another's fortune because you are living a life of conditional worth based upon comparison. Rebecca Rebecca Conendike de Young puts it this way, the envious care how they stack up against others because they measure their self-worth comparatively. That's what led Cain to slay Abel. He couldn't stand that God was pleased with his brother Abel. He couldn't experience that pleasure as anything other than an indictment of his own self-worth. And one of the primary points of this parable that Jesus tells is that God doesn't value us based on what we do, how we perform, how much we produce, how hard we work, or how long we work for. The grace of God is unconditional. And in a passage like this, we see that it is offensive. It's offensive. His free gift of grace is the same for those who have spent a life serving Him as those who have turned to Him in the eleventh hour. Maybe you've heard that phrase, the eleventh hour, before. It comes from this parable, because it's the eleventh hour workers at the very end of the day who are hired. His grace is free for both. The last will be first, and the first last And it's true that this is audacious. It cuts against all our sensibilities of earning and deserving and worthiness. Yes, this even threatens our vision of the good life because if the true outcomes of our lives are not ultimately connected to our performance, what will become of us? What will happen to our dreams? In the kingdom of God, The good life is found by living a life receptive to the unconditional favor of God for us and for others. The good life is found when you know you're serving a generous winemaker who will take care of you and others. When you come to fully understand His generosity. When you call in sick and He still pays you. When you run out of money and he still lets you buy wine and bread with empty pockets. When he pours buckets of cleansing grace over your piles and piles of sin. Then he will turn your envious heart into one that rejoices over the joy of others when you receive His generosity, you can stop measuring your worth against that of others. Because Jesus has declared you fully worthy of His love apart from your performance, obedience, or righteousness. Which means then, you don't have to sorrow over your friend's social media post. Worrying that you're behind. That you're being outdone. That you'll never have what they have. That your kids didn't turn out the way their kids did. Worrying that you're being cheated. Worrying that you'll never catch up. Instead, God wants to give you the freedom to trust that He's taking care of you in His providential, unconditional love. So this week, I want to encourage you in, in the season of Lent... To ask God for the freedom to trust that He's taking care of you. So that your envy could be mortified, put to death, and your joy restored. He wants to give us the freedom to trust that we're not living in a rat race where we have to outdo others lest they outdo us. He wants to give us the freedom to trust that success for me is not dependent on defeat for someone else. He wants to give us the freedom to trust that there is no scarcity with him. That he did not create a zero-sum world, but a universe overflowing with his own abundance. And let's be honest, who needs envy? The American writer Joseph Epstein quipped that of all the deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. (laughs) It's a sin that spoils and rots and warps. It makes us miserable and sorrowful and alone. What does God want to offer us instead? I love how Robert C. Roberts puts it. He says, The Christian self-understanding is that she is precious before God. However much a sinner however much a failure or success she may be by the standards of worldly comparisons this vision when appropriated is the ultimate ground of self-confidence for the message is that god loves me for myself not for anything i have achieved not for my beauty or my intelligence or righteousness or for any qualification but simply in the way that a good mother loves the fruit of her womb in christ God says that you are enough and you have enough in Christ being the key words. Yes, he wants to refine you. Yes, he wants to spend your whole life sanctifying you. Yes, he wants to transform you. But none of those activities of God in your life change his bedrock love for you. Anne Lamott writes, the secret is that God loves us exactly the way we are and that he loves us too much to let us stay like this. She says, I'm just trying to trust that. He loves you exactly the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay like that. (laughs) I love the paradox. When we get a hold of the secret, we're finally free to give up envy. The poisonous comparison game. We're free to celebrate the audacious grace of God towards us and others. And we're free to live fully alive in the unconditional love of God. One of the things that we do at Resurrection Church is after the end of the message, we'll pause for a time to reflect, just a moment to check in with God, to to ask him maybe, uh, where is envy operative in my life? What joy is this sin stealing from me that you want to restore to me, O God? Where is my heart set on the things of this world when you want me to be finding my joy in you? I invite you to take one minute in silence with God in prayer, asking him to free you from the sin of envy. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in us to set us free from sin. That we might experience the life that you would have for us in your unconditional love. God, this week, convict us that we are all 11th hour workers. That none of us are worthy of your grace. And we thank you that it is audacious. We thank you uh, that you are so prodigal, so, so liberal in the pouring out of your grace upon us when it is so undeserved. Let that grace uh, transform us to move us from, from hearts that compare uh, to hearts that can celebrate. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, I believe that we are going to move to Echo, and I think this is for students who are, is it middle school age students? I don't want to get this wrong. Three to five, third third to fifth grade, to reflect a bit on what we've heard today. Uh, So people of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe that we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. And at this time, we're going to take a pause to um, consider our morning offerings. Uh, There are two ways to give. I believe that there's a box right outside of the door here, and it's also quite easy to give online at the website. Thank you for uh, your your generous support of the ministries of Pleasant Street Church. Uh, Let me pray for us as as we do this. Almighty God, uh, the passage we've considered today shows us how tied up our hearts get with money. We pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, let us see that we are, g- are recipients of your uh, incredible generosity, and help that, Lord, to free us from any grip that money has on our hearts. May our giving um, be a clear picture to us and to others that we are free uh, because of your generosity. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. let's worship together.
2: Please rise, embody your spirit.
1: Are safe, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, I feel no shame at the sound. great name, Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us, the Son of God and man Hungry so God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. Your great name. God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name.
0: Peace be to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Amen.
1: was and is and is to come. Is the Lord God Almighty, was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings.